They've watched Citizen Kane a combined 200 times. Elliot's first words were, I personally thought the use of Dutch angles was derivative in the 400 blows. And Nathan's favorite historical figure is Fritz Lang. Now they're bringing that snootiness to you with Magellan's at the Movies. Nathan, Whoa. we didn't we, we pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. We didn't uh, stall who was going to start talking first. But I do have some things I want to talk to you about, Nathan. It's been a really big week for entertainment. I don't know how many people in the audience will connect with this. I don't know how you'll connect with this, Nathan. But Grand Theft Auto 6 got a trailer. Grand Theft Auto is a cultural behemoth on par with in the same weight class as like Star Wars and Marvel. So felt like yeah. we should acknowledge that. I don't really care about Grand Theft Auto. I've played Grand Theft Auto 5 and it was fine. Um, I've always preferred Red Dead, but whatever. Uh, we got a trailer for Godzilla times Kong equals the new empire. That looks awful. Um, <laughs> what a stupid name too. How are you even supposed to say the name? Is it Godzilla times Kong or is it like I have, Godzilla? I have Cross no Kong? idea. How is it pronounced? It's a terrible name. I've never heard it pronounced, but yeah, that looks abysmal. Um, we got a surprisingly, what I thought was a surprisingly solid trailer for the fallout show that Amazon is making. I did. I did see fan. that. I, and yeah, I thought it looked it. I thought it looked pretty cool. But yeah, and then I, the game awards are happening tonight, so there'll probably be a bunch of oh. reveals from that. So yeah, did you? Has any of this registered with you? I mean, you already mentioned seeing the Fallout thing. Yeah, I thought the Fallout one was neat. I think the world of Fallout is a really like interesting world. It has a really neat aesthetic. I've only partially played Fallout Four; is the only one I've played. So I might watch the show just because it looks neat. Yeah, the Godzilla times Kong, stupid, looks terrible. You forgot to mention that because it came out in between when we recorded and now, but Mad Max Furiosa also got a trailer, which looks kind of weirdly sloppy, but it's George Miller. The man knows how to blow up things entertainingly. So I, I have some faith in him. I'm excited for that, regardless of the quality of the trailers leading into it. Uh, yeah, GTA, I have never played a Grand Theft Auto game. They kind of exist in the same space for me as like South Park, that they're just so bitter and cynical and kind of mean-spirited from what I've seen that it's difficult for me to really want to spend a lot of time in that headspace. Kind of the same reason why I wouldn't want to sit around only reading Cormac McCarthy books, at some point I would just get depressed and I would need to do something else. But it, it certainly look. I mean, you know, obviously it looks impressive graphically or whatever, but, and it's going to be fascinating. I think the last Rockstar game was Red Dead Redemption 2. And I believe from stuff I've seen, it's the highest grossing media like p singular piece of media in the history of humanity just in terms of like how many copies sold it's number two behind grand theft auto 5 yeah okay so like this is all like an astronomically huge thing and we are we are kind of gamers so we are aware of this so yeah who knows but i would not say it's something that i'm ch like chomping at the bit i need to have yeah, another brief, if you're looking for our thoughts on Fargo, the new episode, uh, I thought when, he, here's all I'll say, and then I'll leave it for Elliot to say a million and <laughs> two things and take up way too much time. When this show, when this season is being Fargo, it's very interesting. When it's like an action scene, when it's doing kind of the classic Fargo 
sort of things of people doing kind of goofy things. It's really good when it's people talking or it's anything outside of these action scenes. The quality is leaving a lot to be desired. None of the characters have really coalesced into something very uh, compelling or very interesting, in my opinion. Uh, probably the most interesting is Munch, just because what on earth is Munch? Uh, and then Dot is kind of compelling, just because it's always compelling to see someone try and flee kind of an abusive, traumatic relationship. But otherwise, there's very little to be excited about or be interested in, other than the fact that this show, this season looks so stupidly good. The lighting, it's not Eric Messerschmidt again from season four. And I thought season four looked really good. But this, just every shot looks so good. I, in my opinion, I just think it is so well shot. Cinematography is amazing. Anyway, that's my, that's my thoughts. This episode didn't change much of how I feel about the season as a whole. Yeah, I thought it was okay. Yeah, this this episode is kind of it kind of cemented a lot of what I said uh last time in terms of the problems that I have with it. Gosh, I'm really tired. This show just abuses its monologue privileges. Like when the the two FBI agents are talking to their guy and he says 1958, the Chinese declared war on the sparrows. I was like, "Oh, come on." I was <laughs> I reacted quite viscerally to that because I knew he was going to go on some obnoxious, tangentially related story. And it was an extremely thin connection that he had established between this story and uh, what was being discussed. But yeah, I, I really dislike Ol Munch as a character. I think that he is crossed from the realms of like mysterious and intriguing and is deep into just nonsense territory. Like, are we seriously trying to say that he's some 500 year old satanic ritualist? That's stupid. That's that. That's just nonsense. That's not quirky or weird. What? It's a true story, Elliot. That's how it actually happened. Okay, well, that's a lie. But yeah, I, if I had to guess, I would say it's because they've had so many, like, blank-faced, nihilistic hitmen that in their in the seasons that they just had to, they wanted to shake it up. My solution to that problem would have been to just not have one at all and do something different, but whatever. And also, one last thing. I agree with what you said about these characters not being terribly compelling. And I'm not sure what it is. I think maybe there's just too many of them. There's too many main characters and there's not enough time spent among uh, among them that I haven't really found anyone to latch on to. But I do want to say, why can Dorothy not go to the police about this? Why can't she... Why couldn't she have divorced her husband... And then said, hey, he's trying to kidnap and kill me. That's illegal. Can I get some help here? I'm assuming that there's a reason why she feels she can't turn to law enforcement. Or there, there flipping well better be a reason. But yeah, also like her refusal to tell her husband what's going on. I think at this point borders on the unethical. Like it has gotten serious enough that... Everyone should be on the same page here. But yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not loving it. Well, thank goodness I talked for so briefly. I knew Elliot would carry us to just about the 10 minute mark. Yeah, that's Fargo. We'll, we're going to continue watching it. Maybe bring you vanishingly fewer thoughts on it as it gets worse. If it does anyway, uh, let's get let's dive into the movie that we're talking about today. I'll introduce it because this was this was my pick. This is Clint Eastwood's Gran Torino, two thousand eight movie. I would say it's considered probably one of Clint Eastwood's stronger movies. I would not say it's considered as good as maybe Unforgiven, which I think is probably in most people's opinions his his best movie. Uh, but this is one that 
certainly has a great deal of fans. It's a movie that you pro- like, that if you asked your grandfather what he thought, he probably would say, dang, I love that movie. That's such a great film. Uh, it's the kind of movie you would see playing on FXX and your dad would uh, stop switching channels and watch it is kind of the, the vibe. It's a, it's a movie very clearly that's going to be appealing to maybe more to men and maybe more to older men. Anyway, it follows Clint Eastwood as the eternally grouchy, crotchety Walt Kowalski. Uh, immediately following the death of his wife, he's alone in his neighborhood that has been increasingly filled with uh, Hmong immigrants from South East Asia, Southwest Asia, South Asia. So maybe what it would be. She rattled off countries from all over Asia, although she said that they were uh, from Vietnam, like her family was. So South Asia. But he kind of grows to start uh, protecting, start helping the family that moves in next to him, his neighbors. He helps specifically their son, Tao, as he's kind of going through some stuff and dealing with some some gang violence in the area. But in kind of a grander, more meta scale, this movie also serves as kind of similarly to Unforgiven. It's a bit of a farewell to one of Clint Eastwood's classic characters. Unforgiven, obviously a farewell to his classic Western persona. Gran Torino is maybe more of a farewell to his classic rogue cop persona, Dirty Harry the star of the Dirty Harry movies, if you're familiar. But um, yeah, that's kind of the gist. Uh, let's dive into Elliot. You know, what's your experience with this? What are your opening thoughts on this film? Uh, yeah, this is my, uh, sorry. I'm just to let the audience know, I have a new chair down here. It's a very old rocking chair. So if it creaks a lot, then you'll probably end up hearing that. And I apologize. Try to keep still. <laughs> This is my second time watching this movie. I watched it for the first time, I think, when I was in high school. And I was just, like, trying to watch movies that uh, everyone said were good. I am not the biggest fan of Clint Eastwood as a director. I have seen Unforgiven. I, maybe I need to rewatch it. I don't remember being particularly impressed with it. But other than that, I've seen this. I've seen uh, Richard Jewell, which is okay. And The Mule, which is pretty darn bad. I think that's it. But anyway, uh, so I remembered liking this movie. Uh, as I've said many times on this very program, this is the kind of dynamic that I live for. The grizzled, world-weary old man uh, rediscovering his lost humanity with the help of a energetic young ward. And yeah, I just remember thinking that it was a solid, decent movie that uh, put that archetype to good effect. And it had some good laughs and stuff. Great job. Handshakes, hugs all around. I was less impressed this time around. Principally, I think there's a lot of really bad, really stilted, really clumsy dialogue in this. Like, holy cow. Did Clint Eastwood write this? No. (laughs) No. Well... He could have. Um, this movie kind of feels like it was written by Walt Kowal- Kowalski. Um, <laughs> because the dialogue, it, it, there were many times where I was like, oh, that's rough. Nobody talks like that. That is so awkward and stilted. And uh, a lot of it came from Sue. And it, didn't, it doesn't help that there is some pretty shaky acting going on in this thing. Uh, but yeah, when she's like accosted by the young men when she's with her other young man and she says like, I, I miss you can take your, my name is you can take your uh, barely disguised innuendo and cram it. I was like, oh, that's really bad. But also just like really clumsy egregious violations of show don't tell like the time when walt is at, over at sue's house to have, to join in at a hmong barbecue and he goes into the bathroom and he looks in the mirror and he's like 
I have more in, tr- in common with these racial slur uh, than I do my own world rotten children. And I was like, dude, seriously, that's really, that is, that's bad. Like you need to, you need to not be saying that kind of stuff. Cause that's, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to get that from everything else. I don't need, I don't need Walt to narrate his evolving beliefs and positions as a character. Uh, so yeah. And it got better. It got a little better as the movie went on, but there were still times where people were dropping some real clunkers. And I was like, oh man, I don't remember that at all. So I think that that did noticeably uh, erode my warm feelings for this movie. There was still plenty of stuff that I liked. I thought the relationship between Walt and Tao was pretty good. It is still a good uh, rendition of this classic dynamic. Uh, there were some pretty funny jokes. I really like the ending. I think it comes to a nice, uh, a, a nice close. Even though Walt does the thing where he says, "Like, oh, I am at peace." And again, I was like, "Dude, come on, seriously! You don't need him to say that. You need him to demonstrate that with his actions and stuff." But yeah, still uh, good stuff. It's like a, it's a heartwarming kind of story about an old man overcoming his prejudices at least a little bit and being a better person and living for others good stuff love it uh love to see that kind of thing in movie he's got a great dog love daisy uh she's a white lab i love white labs um so yeah i I wouldn't say that i dislike this movie but there were things this movie has some pretty serious problems some problems that i can't just wave away or say like, it's not that big deal. It doesn't really impact the proceedings because I do think that they appreciably impact this movie's quality. Interesting. Yeah. I somewhat agree. Similar sort of experience with the movie to this point. I watched it in high school and then this is my first time revisiting it. I remembered really enjoying it, but I did also remember feeling that some of the dialogue was kind of clunky and on rewatch, I would definitely say that's the thing that's doing the most to hamper my enjoyment of the film is that some of the dialogue is tough and there's times where I can't tell if it's the screenplay or if it's the acting, but something is not going well. Cause I, I think everyone's trying to do their best. And that's kind of how I always feel is I think, Everyone is trying to do their best, but I think the screenplay is, like you said, it feels like it was written by someone not really in touch with uh, the people who the script, uh, the youth, I guess you could say. Uh, It does not feel like this was written by a very hip sort of person who knows what the lingo is and how kids talk these days. But, and the reason why I I chose this movie is I wanted us to do a Clint Eastwood movie. I've seen quite a bit more Clint Eastwood movies than you have. I've seen Unforgiven. I've seen uh, The Elnaught Josie Wales, American Sniper, uh, Gran Torino, The Bridges of Madison County, Bird, which for some reason he directed. So I've seen maybe more Clint Eastwood movies than you. And I think he's a fascinating director. He's not my favorite director by any stretch of the imagination, but I think the way he chooses to make movies and the movies he chooses to make are kind of fascinating. And I think this movie is a really good example of a movie that it's hard to imagine any other director making in quite this way which was kind of the crux of why I wanted to revisit it to see if I had kind of made that up or if that was true. And I think I still think it is fairly true. I I think maybe in the past you could have seen a movie like this, something like in the 80s or the 70s. But the idea of a modern director directing, making a movie kind of like this, I think is really hard to believe. And if it's not Clint Eastwood, I think it's really unlikely that a movie like this is going to get made. So, um, yeah, uh, I'm excited to talk about it, to discuss the film at greater length with you. Uh, let's start, I think, let's start by, you know, discussing the characters. Let's start with maybe some of the more negatives, and then we'll try to end with more of the positives. But like we already said, some of the acting here is 
rough. And I'd say pretty much universally, the acting is hard for me to really buy into outside of Clint Eastwood's Walt. Uh, I like the guy who plays the priest. I think he's doing a pretty good job. And I really like the priest. I think he's typically one of the one of the movie's saving graces. I think his dialogue is a lot better than other characters. And I think just the writing in his scenes is much improved. I like Tao. I like the guy who plays Tao. I think he does a really good job of showing kind of Tao's growth from the beginning of the movie, that he's very shy. He's very reserved. He's kind of always looking at the ground. And then as the movie progresses and he gains a bit more confidence, he's his posture changes, the way he talks changes. So I thought those three kind of stood out for me as a performance that was better and was actually like good. It's not just they're better by comparison. I think all three of these guys are doing a really good job. I think it's a solid performance, but uh, what did you think of kind of the characters in the movie and maybe the performances in the movie beyond what you've already said? Um, I'm afraid I'm going to have to disagree. I think that <laughs> no. Clint Eastwood can do stony faced, hard edged stares like nobody's business but when he's asked to express any other kind of emotion, he's going to struggle. And yeah, like when he was supposed to be really angry. And that one time there's a scene in the movie where he accosts uh, a member of this gang that is kind of trying to prey on impressionable young Tao. So he goes and accosts a member of this gang and somehow, despite being like 70 something years old, he's able to overpower him which is very dumb, and also, like, he's supposed to be absolutely irate in this scene, but he just looked kind of silly, like he was he was doing this really goofy teeth, uh, baring his teeth snarl that just looked kind of stupid, and his voice, his three-pack-a-day voice, I think, is just so hoarse and raspy that it's hard for... It's, it's, it's hard for it to be impacted by emotion like uh, dude speak this has nothing to do with anything but when he started singing over the credits i was like <laughs> who decided clint eastwood should sing in this movie or at all that was an interesting choice um i agree partially about tau i think that he he does a good job with the sullen reserved uh parts of the story and he does a he does a serviceable job when he's uh, just kind of palling around with Walt. I think at the very end, when he's supposed to be like really aggressive and really mad, I think at that point, he started to feel a little bit more uh, wooden and a little bit more forced. And I thought that the priest did fine in terms of acting, but I would have to disagree. I think that he he had some some of those clunkers that I was talking about that I was like, yeah, it's hard to say that naturally because it's it's just it's just not natural. It's just not something that someone would say. So yeah, I I try to give child actors some slack because it's tough acting, it's tough being a child. So when you put those two things together, you've got a double whammy <laughs> of difficulty. But yeah, I, I would not to put it diplomatically, I would not place um, Sue's actor in the, uh, like Jacob Tremblay or the girl who played, uh, um, X-24 in Logan tier of child actors. Yeah. And there's really, there's not a whole lot of other people. Everyone else is just kind of asked to play like one note gangsters or just kind of people in Walt's life. Or people in the, uh, what's the last name of the family? That's a good question. I don't know if they really, they don't say it and it is not in the credits. Okay, well then the Tao Su family. Yeah. Uh, they, yeah, they don't really, they're not really asked to do, to do anything. But Daisy, the dog, she does great. Love it. <laughs> I, I always love stage dogs are always looking off screen to where their handlers like holding a treat or a toy to get them to stay still. So I always love that. I always love stage dogs. Interesting. 
Um, in terms of other negatives, for me, I guess, maybe you will have quite a bit more. Uh, what on earth is happening with the color grading in this film? When the first shot came up, I gen- like I thought something had happened to my TV. I thought something was wrong. It's super washed out. It looks like not at all appeal it looks ugly to be like frank and there's some scenes where i do really like clint eastwood's very aggressive kind of lighting style that he usually uses in his movies that he'll uh light up almost only half of a person's face or only a particular part of the scene and then the rest of it has very sharp contrast and very harsh shadows on it And there were some scenes with that. There was a scene where Walt is calling his kid that was kind of something like that, which I think is fairly realistic. There's like not every moment of my life is well lit. There's times where I'm sitting in the dark just because I can't be bothered to get up and turn on a light. But for the most part, this movie is like ugly to look at. And I don't understand why it looks this way sometimes. Like some movie, again, you know, it depends on the movie. Sometimes it's an artistic choice to have the movie look a little bit more garish. I'm thinking of something like a lot of Fight Club looks really dirty and grimy. And I think there's a point, like there's a reason for that. And Seven, we kind of said Seven also had, like, it doesn't look appealing, but it's not supposed to look appealing. The story is not appealing. This is, like Elliot said, is kind of a wholesome, heartwarming, classic, old school sort of story So I don't understand why it looks like the grayest day in humanity's history. It's just very weird to me. Um, I agree. I don't, I definitely noticed that the color grading was pretty aggressive. I don't think that it had that much of an impact on my experience. Uh, It made things look weird, but I don't think I really like, it never really got me all that upset. My other big negative is just that, yeah, the the writing is not the best in terms of there are a lot of plot points and character relationships that feel kind of underdeveloped. I'm thinking particularly of Walt's relationship with his family. Like, it, they kind of waft in and out of the movie at the beginning, and then they vanish until the very end when he mentions being dissatisfied with the kind of relationship that he had with his children. And then they're just kind of, they're almost like secondary antagonists throughout the movie, which I think is kind of at odds with the disappointed, dissatisfied feeling that they want to communicate from Walt's side. Like they, they were portrayed as two, hostile to him and his uh his goals for me to really empathize with a character dynamic of a strained relationship and uh, a relationship that a man feels like he didn't put enough put enough effort into uh that's just one example there are other examples like of just things that are that are that are just very clunky. Um, the way that Walt, the immediate shine that Sue takes to Walt, and that pretty much everyone in the movie takes to Walt, aside from the people he's antagonizing, uh, but even some of them, like the priest, I I feel like he doesn't really earn. Like, he's too cantankerous and rude of a person for me to believe that someone would be like, wow, I want to spend more time with this guy. And then just, like, Walt has a real problem with stating what's going on in his head out loud. Like, in the opening funeral scene, uh, or after the opening funeral scene, when they're back at the house and he goes out into the yard and he sees the uh, Sue and Tao's family butchering a duck he says barbarians uh he says another word that i can't say which is just it's just like that's just so contrived and affected and i don't really need that like they want to 
they want the audience to understand that this is a man who's bigoted, who's pretty racist, and I don't think you need him to say barbarians aloud to no one in particular to get that across. I think you just need to give him to just have a shot of Walt, like, making a disgusted face. Who knows? Maybe Clint Eastwood's face is too sta- is too saggy for that kind of emoting. Uh, they're, they're, it, I don't know, but that kind of thing happens a lot, and it's very clunky and very awkward, and it's it's... Again, it's not something that I can really wave away because the writing and the character dynamics are the rock upon which this movie's story is built. So it it does represent a fundamental flaw in the movie, in my opinion. Hmm. Well, I think this is... We've reached the end of my negatives, so we've maybe reached the point where we're going to start arguing and fighting and calling each other rude names. So let's let's just get into that, you stupid, slovenly pile of garbage. Because <laughs> I think the, the thing that I really like about this movie and the thing that kind of brings me back to it is I think Walt is a very, is a fascinating character. And I think this movie is somewhat frustrating for me because it's one of those movies that's maybe more interesting for me to read and think about than it is necessarily for me to watch it. Cause I definitely agree. There's a lot of clunky stuff, but I think what this movie represents and the ideas and themes that are running throughout it and the scenes where it's able to hit those moments really well are so, so good in my opinion that it's hard for me to kind of land on how to feel about the movie. I think Walt is a fascinating character. I think, again, going back to what I said at the beginning of this, I think Clint Eastwood is fascinating in how much of a dirtbag he lets Walt be without ever really... I I definitely agree with you. I don't think he's remotely less prejudiced at the end of the movie because I don't think the point of the movie is for him to be less prejudiced by the end of it. I think it's him figuring out how to be alive and what it means to be, you know, alive, a good person, a better person than before. And so I don't think there's a lot of directors who would let a character like this be as bad of a person as they are while still having this much kind of compassion for them. I, the scene that really, the two scenes that really jumped out at me as this is such a fantastic scene is the one where Walt calls, he goes to the hospital and kind of gets a diagnosis that he's, he's very sick. He probably has like lung cancer or something. He's going to die. And he calls his son and his son is not able to read, right? Read into this what he needs to. He's not able to say like, Oh, this is so weird. My father never calls me. I should, invest in this conversation and ask him how he's doing and what's happening like and i thought clint eastwood did a really good job of right he's not emoting he's not crying but he's noticeably upset that his son is not reciprocating his outward moment and then the other scene that i really like is uh the final confessional that he goes to with the priest I think it says a lot about Walt as a character and as a person, what has stuck in his mind so much that he feels a need to confess it, right? That he confesses getting money and not paying taxes on it, that he's obviously, right, he loves taxes for some reason, like a weirdo, but whatever. Uh, He kissed another woman while he was with his wife, and he doesn't have as good a relationship with his sons as he wanted, I think it's fascinating that those are the three things, right, that were the sticking point for him that persisted enough that when he finally decided to come clean and admit where he's wrong, those were the things that came to his mind. And I I think the movie, I love the ending to the movie. We can talk at greater length maybe about the ending of the movie. But I think as kind of a character study, I think it's fascinating because it's the the movie lets Walt be such a bad person without ever losing sight of the fact that he is a person, that he does have issues and these are, right, the issues that he's facing, that no one 
kind of sees him in the way he wants them to, that he's not being cared for in the way he needs. And so I think in that regard, the movie is really, really fascinating for me. But again, it's kind of an exercise in it's a bit more fascinating to think about than it is necessarily to watch it because it is so clunky at times. Well, that's interesting. You tomato nosed, sour faced son of a biscuit. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure there's a whole lot of, I I guess I don't really care. Um, Mm. I don't really care that these are the, I don't really care that these are the things that he struggles with because it's hard for, I'm going to talk about textual evidence again, but it's hard for the movie, the way that it's structured to include a lot of textual evidence for that. So let's run them down. Um, it's hard for me to grasp that loyalty to his wife is very important because his wife is dead and he regularly refuses to go through with her last wish that he go to confession. So uh, it's a bit hard for me to for me to take that. It's hard for me to empathize with his regret over the relationship with his sons because he's so hostile to his sons and they're they, I guess like you could kind of construe his calling his son the one time as an effort to uh build a bridge but then we kind of abandon that thread for the rest of the movie and at the end when the son is finally reintroduced he is still very much it seems to me that he we are still very much meant to see him as a threat as a secondary antagonist, not as a sympathetic character who's missed out on a relationship with his father. So again, it's hard for me to really connect with that as a motivation. I guess the thing about stealing makes probably the most sense because he does talk quite a bit about earning your keep. Uh, he, He speaks... The fact that he owns everything in his house and in his garage is a point of pride for him when he talks to Tao about it. Yeah, he's the the classic, like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of ideology. So that's fine. The other two things I'm less impressed with. I think, I know we jokingly said we're going to call each other names. I think you're just stupid. I feel like you're just blatantly ignoring scenes of the movie his loyalty to his wife is obvious why else would he be so hung up on i'm not going to say it's innocuous you shouldn't be kissing people when you're married but it's something that clearly happened a really long time ago every time he mentions his wife he clearly cares a lot about her he thinks very highly about her she he tells tao that he married the best woman in the world and it was the best thing that ever happened to him and i feel like I can see what you're saying that he reaches out to his son once and then when he's spurned, he doesn't try again. I feel like that's how we work as humans is that we try it once. And then if we're not reciprocated, if we don't receive the result we want, it can be really, really hard for us to say, no, I'm going to go put myself emotionally on the line again and try again. I think that's a really difficult thing for a lot of people. So it's really believable for me that he would, take this big step to try and connect more with his son, call him, receive nothing back and just say, it's not worth it. I'm not going to continue doing it, which again, I think is to the benefit of the movie because it makes it in my mind, at least a bit more realistic that Walt doesn't resolve every single one of his issues. He doesn't figure out that he shouldn't be racist. He doesn't patch up his relationship with his sons. The the kind of victory and peace he gains at the end is somewhat of one he's made up, one he's created, which I think is true. I think sometimes we have to admit when things are maybe beyond our control, I don't think everything that he wanted to do was necessarily beyond his control. I think he for sure could have tried harder 
to connect with his sons. But I think there is an element where we do have to decide, like, I'm going to be at peace with what I can do. And I find that very compelling. I think it's very interesting. Uh, I can certainly see what you're saying and why the clunkier elements would uh, knock it down further for you. But I, I just feel like you were kind of ignoring some of the scenes in the movie when you were doing a little textual evidence. Okay, listen, stupid. Three <laughs> 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 lines does not constitute a well-developed, deeply rooted character facet. Um, so that that's a joke. I understand what you're saying. I think that for me, the real hang-up in terms of... I do think that three lines about, I like my wife, and I wish I hadn't uh, kissed that other woman. I do think that's not enough to constitute, like, a character motivation that could at best be described as, like, character backstory. But anyway, mm -hmm. the real hang-up for me is with the son. And... I'm going to talk, I'm going to bring in some textual evidence here. Because oh, when his son visits him again on his birthday and tries to move him out of the house, from that point on, the son, and before that as well, the son is being portrayed as a maleficent influence that needs to be resisted. Not a kind of fractured relationship that needs to be brought back in. I think that if the birthday scene, I th I do think that the, it kind of hinges on the birthday scene for me. And that if the birthday scene had gone poorly just because they didn't have much to talk about or they didn't really know how to connect as people, I think that I would be much more on board with what you're saying. But because in that moment, he is he and his wife are so clearly being portrayed as actively antagonistic forces that need to be rebuffed, then it's hard for me to reconcile that with this idea that Walt is actually what Walt is actually trying to do, and what he actually longs to do is bring his son closer, if that makes sense. Hmm. I guess I can see that. I mean, I would disagree, obviously. I feel like, I don't feel like the son is representing something evil. I don't think he's an antagonist. I think that kind of depends on how much you're willing to, I guess, look past Walt's own failures, which I think, again, is something that I find fascinating about Clint Eastwood's movies is he is so disinterested in giving you and this is maybe a little hypocritical of me because this is kind of it's something I dislike with Martin Scorsese movies, but that I like in Clint Eastwood movies is that Clint Eastwood is not really helping you along in terms of figuring out what he's trying to necessarily say in the movie. I think the fact that you see Walt and his relationship with his son in this way, and I see it as very much a failing of Walt and every scene where the son is trying to do something, I see it much more as highlighting Walt's flaws than it is the son being antagonistic. I, I think this is an example, again, of Clint maybe leaving too much up to the audience that, depending on your interpretation, the movie can make you really upset or make you really happy. Uh, I don't want to keep debating this. I want to move to kind of my final thing and talk about the ending of the movie. I think this is an absolutely fantastic ending. I, I already mentioned at the beginning of the review that this movie kind of exists as a send-off or a bit of a critique of Clint Eastwood's classic Dirty Harry sort of character. I think this ending, I think it's fantastic. I mean, I, I think I've already said that a couple times, but that's really, I think it's such an amazing, sub. it's not necessarily subversive. I feel like you could probably guess maybe what he's going to do, but by flipping the script in this way and saying, right, I'm not going to go and shoot up the things. I'm not going to go kill more people. The movie ends on a much more pacifist, peaceful sort of message, which I really, I really like. I've seen the original Dirty Harry. I don't love it partially because I do think it's very much kind of supporting a mentality that is 
not one I would agree with, not one I think people should be running around with. And I think this movie is much uh, better. I think the lead up to the final scene, him going and getting a suit so he could be buried in a fitted suit. Uh, I think him going to confessional and then him going and just getting shot a bunch. I think it's fantastic. I think it's a really beautiful ending of a guy discovering what it means to be at peace and then finding his own kind of version of that. I agree. I like this ending quite a bit. And I do want to say, because again, this is one of those instances where I feel like there, there's just so much that I need to, there's so much like context that I need to add in so people can understand <laughs> why I don't connect with the things I don't connect with that it makes it seem like I dislike the movie more than I actually do. So I want to rewind a little bit before I talk about the ending to talk about the relationship between Walt and Tao, because I like that. I think that that is uh, patiently and well and thoroughly developed and built up over a, uh, a an extended series of interactions. And you can see a clear evolution in their relationship and a clear evolution in Walt's thinking about their relationship and about his relationship with the broader community that he's in a bit. Like, I don't want to say that he's, like, ready to march with Black Lives Matter or anything, but he's making improvements. And, um, yeah, I like the character of Tao. I think he's charming and likable. I think that his conflict is very true to life, that he doesn't have... A strong, a strong role model at home, like a, a a strong male role model, and so he's kind of vulnerable to his cousin, who what's his name, Spider or something. His real yeah. name is Fong, but his nickname is Spider because he has a tattoo of a spider on his arm. So yeah, there you go. Um, so yeah, he's kind of vulnerable to his influence uh, because of that. So yeah, I like that. That's good and. I, I'm a sucker for this kind of dynamic, and I really like the moments when they're kind of palling around, shooting the breeze, trading back and forth insults. I don't think that men talk like the way that Walt talks with his barber, or if they do, that's stupid. But um, I understand that this is a this is a different kind of a different model of relationship that Walt inhabits. And I think that the scenes where the scene where Tao tries to <laughs> insult um, the barber in a kind of an amiable, jovial way, I think is really funny. Um, and I like the the scene where they go to get a job for Tao at a construction site, and Tao does a lot better in like complaining about things in his life, and then the uh, super who they're trying to get the job from he responds to that really well and so they kind of build up a rapport there good stuff like it very good um enough to make me enough to save this movie like i don't think this movie is bad i, I want to be clear i think that this movie has fundamental problems that keep it from being great or it keep it from being truly like enlightening or uh one of those movie experiences that you watch movies for right that you, um that you that you consume fictional stories for. So yeah, it can't be that good, but it's still good. It's a competent, well-executed rendition of a dynamic that I really respond well to. And I think it's done well here. And I think that these are the areas kind of where both actors are most in their comfort zone. So the performances are strongest in these areas. So yeah, good stuff. And that's also a fundamental aspect of the movie. And so I'm trying to like, I'm trying to convince everyone that I do actually kind of like this movie, <laughs> just like the fun. It has fundamental problems. It also has fundamental strengths is basically what I'm saying. And that carries over into the ending, which I think is very good to be honest. I know we're talking about positives, but <laughs> to be honest, I wouldn't have minded if, he hadn't had that presumably terminal diagnosis uh, because that kind of makes it seem like this was a foregone conclusion and that he was just kind of like, he, he was kind of like accepting because 
the thing about his arc is that he's supposed to be learning how to live. He's supposed to be learning how to accept life. But this kind of seems more like he's accepting his death. Whereas if it was just, if there was not that element whatsoever of death is like knocking at my doorstep, I think that it would much more be in keeping with his character arc that this is him learning to accept life. I, that probably doesn't make any sense whatsoever, but yeah, th- that's a minor, that is a minor thing. Um, I, I love, I love a self-sacrifice moment in stories. They always get to me and this is good. It's a really well framed, well done scene too. Like uh, it's, it's tense. I pretty much figured out what was going to happen when I first saw this movie, but if you didn't, then you don't know what's going on. And even if you did, like me, it's still, like, kind of tragic and affecting to see, like, okay, this is where this is going, and, like, this is it. He's 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 on his way out. He's he's made his choice, made his peace. This is the end of that. So that does, that makes me feel some feelings. And, yeah, it's a really well-constructed ending that fits in, that slots in very snugly with the rest of the movie and its themes and dynamics. With the minor exception of the terminal diagnosis thing, which is part of a a different kind of writing issue that we don't need to talk about. I also like Walt and Tao. I think it's another, uh, not to keep kind of going back to the same well, but I think that's another example of what is great about Clint Eastwood also bleeding into what's good about this movie that I see very much this idea of we need people from other perspectives with other ideas in order to introduce us to ways to be better in ways that we didn't think of, right? Like Tao needs Walt to kind of be a bit more confident, to be a bit more courageous, to stand up for himself. And Walt needs Tao to be like, hey, don't be racist, be a better human being, be a better person to like your sons. You could argue you shouldn't need other people in order to tell you that, but that in the world of the movie, that's kind of what Walter needs. And I think, again, this is what's cool to me about movies is that we can watch movies from so many different people with so many different life experiences that um, you don't have to go out and meet a bunch of people in order to get new ideas. You can just watch movies and stay inside all the time. That's a huge pro for me. <laughs> but I I also really like Walton Town. I think it's very well done. Uh, I also, I would agree. I don't think we've really highlighted it up to this point. The movie is kind of funny. It's, there's some scenes that I laughed out loud at. There were things that it's hard to tell what's a joke and what's supposed to be taken seriously. Like you said, the scene where Clint Eastwood goes and beats up a like 24 year old, little unbelievable. I was kind of chuckling. I don't think that was necessarily (laughs) the goal of the scene. Also, every time Clint Eastwood growled, I'm pretty sure 50% of his script was just Walt growls angrily at youths, which I find funny. That's not necessarily a like a pro for the movie, but the movie is kind of funny. Yeah, I agree. It's got some good jokes. Sick. Well, that's 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 everything for my notes. Do you have any final thoughts here before we go to uh, a rating? Uh, no, um, nothing to write home about really in terms of music or cinematography. We've talked about the lighting and the color grading, color correcting being a little wacky, uh, but I, I didn't have a huge problem with it. I'll go ahead and slap a rating on this son of a gun. I think I admire what this movie is trying to do. I think you're probably right, at least in some capacity, that this movie takes a more forgiving look at Walt's character than you probably would get in a movie made today. I think that there is something to be said about that. I'm glad that this movie exists. Uh, I respect what it's trying to do. I really like the dynamic between Walt and Tao, which again constitutes a significant portion of the movie. Um, I think it's pretty funny. I really like the ending. Uh, The performances can be good when they are properly contextualized. But 
this movie has fundamental problems in terms of character building, character motivations, character arcs, and just minute-to-minute dialogue that really hold it back. Um, I still think it's good. I think it's a movie that I that I like. It's not one that I anticipate watching again of my own volition for at least a pretty long time. So I'm going to give it a C+. Hmm. I disagree. I, I think the movie, despite its clunkiness, despite its flaws, I, I think it's got a really strong story. It's got a really strong idea kind of at the heart of it. And it's an idea that I find very compelling and interesting to tool around with and think about, which is one of the things I love about movies. So I'm going to give it a better score than you. I'm going to give it a 7.8 out of 10. Elliot, what do you think about that? I don't care. Let's talk about recommendations. Um, the, the arguing is over. The insults are done. We can be friends again. Let's talk about movies that we enjoy. Um, so for me, I had a whole lot of movies that I could have chosen from because I decided to, if you like this movie for the dynamic between Walt and Tao, that classic older character, younger character interplay, uh, then... There's a ton of movies that you could watch. I went with Ethan and Joel Cohen's adaptation of True Grit, which focuses on a young girl trying to get revenge for her father by hiring two bounty hunters, one of which is a grizzled older man um, with whom she develops a kind of paternalistic relationship, or he develops a kind of paternalistic relationship with her. So it's got that angle. Um, It's the classic Cohen brothers' sharp uh, cinematography and lighting technical elements are immaculate, just like they always are with my with my my boys, the Coens. It does it is a great rendition of this dynamic. Great early performance from Haley Steinfeld, uh, Matt Damon's in it, Josh Brolin, Jeff Bridges, all doing fantastic work. Uh, it's a classic western, re- and I I'm a fan of westerns. So yeah, if that's the kind of thing that you like, and if you and if you like the kind of like old school sensibilities of Gran Torino, I think you'll find quite a lot to like in True Grit. Yeah, I haven't seen that. The Coens suck. Uh, that's all I'm going to say. Anyway, my recommendation is going to be another Clint Eastwood movie. It's probably, I think, the encapsulation of this idea that I'm talking about that you cannot tell if Clint Eastwood is. Uh, doing a satire or if he's being genuine that's going to be american sniper this movie was huge on release like surprisingly huge i remember our parents going to it i watched it just recently just this year i thought it was one of the most fascinating movies i've ever seen that it's so hard to tell uh what is maybe the intention of the movie and i think that's to the benefit of the film that it's just so ripe for thinking about how we think about things like the military-industrial complex in America, how we treat the military in America, how we look at people in the military in America, and how we help people in the military in America. I think the movie is fantastic. I think Bradley Cooper gives an incredible performance of uh, acting like that one fake baby is a real baby. That's a really groundbreaking scene you might have heard of before but i think this movie is really good and i think it's definitely a film that everyone should watch if only so you could come up with some hot take and figure out it's a love it or hate it sort of movie uh i love it maybe you'd hate it but i think if you liked gran torino i think you'd probably like american sniper as well all right i have not seen that movie i have read the book that chris kyle wrote i can't say that I would really be interested in seeing that book in movie form, but whatever. doesn't matter. What matters is that life is hard and full of disappointments. It's cram-packed with disappointments. So it's important that we all keep that in front of mind. But let's let's wrap it up. Uh, Nathan, we are... Do we want to talk about the impending sabbatical that Magellan's at the Movies is going to go on? 
Uh, yeah, maybe we could. We're gonna we're planning on have we're gonna have another episode next week. We haven't decided yet if we're gonna do that as our year end episode of us talking about our favorite and least favorite kind of movies from this year, kind of discussing that sort of thing. But then uh, the week after that, I am in fact leaving. I will not be in the country, and I will be very busy not being in this country. So we will not be having any new episodes for the back half of December. Uh, we might be able to get one out two weeks from now in a fortnight, I believe is what that uh, measurement of time is called. So uh, yeah, hopefully we can get two episodes out and you won't have to go without the Majones of the movies. Amazing film criticism as you go into 2024. But if so, uh, we'll keep you updated on it. We are definitely going to have another new episode next week. We're not sure what it's going to look like yet. We're going to discuss it. We're going to talk about it. But uh, yeah, hopefully you enjoyed this episode. Hopefully you have a great week regardless. And we'll see you next week for another brand new episode.